So we're continuing our study, looking at the marks of a healthy church, and this morning uh, it is the mark of love, and in particular, loving one another. So to, to help us, I want to focus on two scripture passages. The first, 1 Corinthians 13, that we read at the beginning. And from this passage, we'll think about absent love, absent love. And then from the passage that Katie's just read from 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 18, we're going to think about abiding love. So absent love and abiding love. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. What a wonderful passage. You know, the language is just so magnificent. It is so poetical. It's like a beautiful hymn of love. And quite often this passage is read at weddings. Um, sometimes it has even featured at state occasions. Uh, for example, the presidential inaugurations, given that it is the 4th of July, it has been used at, at, those, at those occasions. But one that sticks in my mind is the funeral of Princess Diana. And some of you may be too young to remember that occasion. She was in the news this week. Her two feuding sons, Princes William and Harry, put aside their differences, at least for a little while, to come together and to unveil a statue in memorial to her. Two brothers that would do well to love one another. And the Prime Minister at the time, Tony Blair, read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 at Diana's funeral service in Westminster Abbey. And it struck me that Diana seemed to spend her life searching for love and never really found it, trapped in a loveless marriage, desperately unhappy. But she wasn't searching for 1 Corinthians 13 love. Because that love is a different kind of love. That love is from another world. It is God's love. Indeed, the Bible tells us that God is love. And it's this love, God's love, that we are looking at and studying today. So Paul here in 1 Corinthians 13, he's writing obviously to the church at Corinth. It's a city in uh, southern Greece. And in chapter 13, he stresses to them the necessity of love. That it is vital. That it is the key to everything. It is the core theme of Christianity. L-O-V-E, love. Now the context here is interesting. Uh, in chapter 12, Paul has been teaching them about spiritual gifts. How God has given to each believer spiritual gifts. And that for the church to function, each believer should exercise their gifts to build each other up, to build up the church, and ultimately to be for the glory of God. But spiritual gifts are not the most important thing in the church. It's love. Look at how Paul ends chapter 12 and verse 31. He's been speaking about gifts and he says, I will show you a still more excellent way. I'll show you a better way. What is that way, Paul? Well, it's the way of love. 
You know, you can be in a church which has the best spiritual gifts, a preaching team that could preach for Scotland. But if you don't have love, then that's exactly what they'll be doing. They'll be preaching for Scotland and they won't be preaching for God. Paul mentions specific gifts at the beginning of chapter 13. Look at verse 1. If I have the gift of tongues. Verse 2. If I have prophetic powers. Or all knowledge. Now he's using hyperbole. He says even the ability to understand all mysteries. Or have all faith to the extent that your prayers to God can remove mountains. He's emphasizing the point. Luke says, Paul, you could be marked by great benevolence in verse 3. You could give away all that you have to the poor. Now, it's not the idea that you just write a check to an organization and they give to the poor. It's the idea of giving away everything that you have bit by bit to people who are in need. Paul says you could even give your life as a martyr. You could deliver up your body to be burned. But if you don't have love... If love is missing, if love is absent, you are nothing. And you will gain nothing. Paul even puts this into the first person to add emphasis. I am nothing. Love is the key. Now it's interesting that Paul here doesn't define love. You know, that's not his purpose. Because love is defined by God. And if you want to see biblical love, then you look at Jesus Christ. And you will see love in action. Let me give you three New Testament references to this kind of love. John chapter 15 verse 13. Jesus said, Greater love hath no one than this, than a man lay down his life. For his friends. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 3, verse 16. By this we know love that he, Jesus Christ, laid down his life for us. This is love that is selfless. Love that acts in self-sacrifice. Jesus Christ laid down his life in love. God so loved the world that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, his only son to the cross. See, this love is not, it's not an emotion. It's not a romantic feeling. This love acts, this love gives, this love helps, this love saves, this love costs. It is self-sacrificial. And so Paul is not defining love. But what he does do here is he says 15 things about what love does, this love does. And about what this love doesn't do. Now, you could group these 15 elements into categories. And um, there's a a next slide on the screen. Um, We'll we'll show you how you could potentially group these elements into categories. There are two big ones. 
The first category is to do with the enduring nature of this love, God's love. Love never ends. It's patient. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never ends. The second category, this love is humble. You know, it's not proud. It's not envious. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. That takes you to 13 elements of love. So there are two other elements of love. Love is kind and love rejoices with the truth. So what is Paul doing here with the theme of love? Well, he's laying love down as a grid. And he's laying love down as a grid over this messed up church at Corinth. And as he looks at how this church has been behaving towards one another, and its attitudes towards one another, love seems to be absent. Love is missing. And Paul says, where is the love? Your, your behaviors, your attitudes are not how God's love acts or feels. Love seems to be absent. And when you come to, to 1 Corinthians, you know, if you were to sit down and read through this letter, well, you come to chapter 3 and you discover that they're boasting in men, not in Jesus Christ, they're boasting in men. Some followed Paul, some Apollos, some Cephas. You come to chapter 5, and we discover that they're arrogant, they're puffed up. And they're arrogant and puffed up about sin in the church, sexual sin in the church, and they've done nothing about it. You come to chapter 6, and we discover that they're not being patient with one another. They're not bearing all things. In fact, what they're doing is they're taking each other to court to settle their disputes. Chapter 8, they are insisting on their own way when it comes to eating foods. And foods that have been associated with offerings to idols. And perhaps by eating those foods, you are stumbling another brother or sister in their faith. Well, they don't care. They have no regard for the impact that may have on another brother or sister's walk with Christ. Chapter 12, they are envious of each other's gifts. And chapter 11, when it comes to the Lord's Supper, to what we are about to do later on in the service, well, it's just become a feast. And they're gathering with their own meals. And they, they have no regard for other people in the church. Paul says, no, 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 this is not how Christian love acts or behaves. He is not defining love. He is applying love. And he's applying love to the church situation at Corinth because love was absent. This is what church looks like when love is absent. Now, we are the recipients. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are the recipient of God's amazing love. Love that is not of this world. Love that should change and transform us. 
And this love is not to be covered up. This love is not to be kept to ourselves. It is to be lavished out on other people. It's to be lived out. It's to be shared out. Ephesians 5 verse 2, Paul says we are to walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself for us. John chapter 15, Jesus commands us to love one another. Commands us. This is my commandment, said Jesus, that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus says, abide in my love. That brings us to our second passage, 1 John chapter 3, and abiding love. Now the challenge from 1 Corinthians 13 is to, is to apply love, as Paul did to the church at Corinth. Are my behaviors, are my attitudes towards others, are they in keeping with the, the elements of God's love? Is God's love active in my life? Is it active in this church? Or is there an absence of love? We need to abide in the love of God. So what does 1 John chapter 3 teach us about abiding love? Well, in verse 11, John reminds us that this love is the message that you have heard from the beginning. I think he's referring back to the teaching of Jesus. And perhaps to John chapter 15, uh, where Jesus commanded us to love one another. Why did Jesus command us to love one another? You know, surely, if I've been born again, if I've received God's Holy Spirit, surely I don't need to be commanded to love. This should be instinctive. Well, it doesn't work like that. And you know that in your own life. We need to be commanded to love. Because some of us are hard to love. Some of us are hard to love. And some of us would only love those that we want to love. And God's love doesn't work like that. God's love is sacrificial. God's love costs the lover. So now John expands on this in the passage. Now let's break the passage down further. There are two sections in 1 John chapter 3. Verses 12 to 16, John focuses on the necessity of this love. And then having explained the necessity of it in verses 16 to 18, he shows us the nature of this love, what it looks like. So in showing us the necessity of this love, he uses an illustration, and he uses the illustration of Cain. He begins with the negative before he shows the positive. He's speaking to his audience as though they were children, little children. And if you're a parent, you can relate to that. How many times do you find yourself saying to the children, don't do that, don't be like that. Well, John says, don't be like Cain. Don't be like Cain. Takes us back to Genesis, to chapters 3 and 4. The first family on earth. The first set of brothers. And how did brotherly love 
work out for Cain and Abel. Well, it led to Cain murdering his own brother. See, Cain is the antithesis, the opposite, the extreme opposite of brotherly love. Cain and Abel, they brought their offerings to God. God must have instructed them. And Abel brought the firstborn of his flock. Cain brought the fruit of the ground. And the inference from Genesis chapter 4 is that Abel obeyed God by what he offered. Cain didn't. God accepted Abel's offering, but he didn't accept Cain's. Now, Cain was very angry. We read that in Genesis chapter 4. God speaks to Cain. And he says, why are you angry? If you do well, will you not be accepted? In other words, if you obey me and do it right, Cain, you too will be accepted like Abel. But if you don't, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. How did Cain respond to God? How did he respond to his brother? Well, he did not respond in love towards his brother. He hated his brother's righteousness. He envied him, which led to hatred, which led to murder. We read in verse 12 that Cain was of the evil one, the devil. Jesus said back in John's gospel in chapter 8 verse 44 that the devil was a murderer from the beginning. You know, this is Cain is of his father and from him came hatred and death. Now look at verse 15. This is when we start to apply it to ourselves. Look at verse 15. We'll come back to verse 14, but look at verse 15. Everyone who hates His brother is a murderer. I can murder my brother and sister in Christ by the way I think about them or by the way I behave towards them. I don't need to physically kill them. Hatred in God's eyes is the same as murder. I can assassinate my brother or sister with my tongue by what I say about them perhaps behind their back. I can destroy their reputation with a couple of sentences. You remember uh, the teaching of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and Jesus says this, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. You see, hatred is the seed that leads to murder. Jesus said this. He said, if you're on your way to the altar, if you're, if you're going to worship, and you remember that your brother has something against you, it's not even if you have something against your brother, but you remember that your brother has something against you, Jesus said, first, be reconciled with your brother. Don't go to the altar. Don't worship. Put your gift aside. First, be reconciled with your brother. Love one another. Speak to them. You know, maybe there's someone uh, listening today and you are angry. Maybe you have something against a brother or a sister 
And perhaps you're not thinking or acting in love towards them. Jesus says, first, first be reconciled. Put it right. Love your brother. Don't be like Cain. Don't hate. Now let's go back to verse 14. Verse 14, chapter 3, says this. We know that we have passed out of death into life. Why? Because we love the brothers. Because loving your brother and sister in Jesus Christ is actually an evidence that you are truly born of God. It is an evidence that you are saved. It is an evidence that God is at work within you. That is how serious this issue is. John says it's a matter of life and death. We know that we have passed out of life, out of death into life. The necessity of this love. Now finally, the nature of this love. What does it look like? Verses 16 to 18. By this we know love. We know it. That he, Jesus Christ, laid down his life for us. That's what it looks like. And John uses another illustration here. To make his point, and it's Christ. And if he started with the negative in Cain, now he moves on to the positive, and it's Christ. And he says, don't be like Cain, be like Christ. He laid down his life for us. What kind of love is this? That gave itself for me. I am the guilty one, yet I go free. Now, here's the implication. You know, John is just so serious. It's black or white. Here's the implication. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Are you prepared to go to such lengths in love? To lay down your life for a brother or sister in Christ? How likely would that scenario be? Well, let's look at verse 17 because here's a test case. But if anyone has the world's goods... And sees his brother in need. Yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Are you aware of a brother, a sister in need? Do you have the means to meet that need? Then do it. Because that's love. And that's what this kind of love does. This is God's love. It costs. It acts. It denies self. It sacrifices. This is love from another world. This is the love 
of God. So if you're not prepared to show love at that level, verse 17 level, where you know there is a need and you have the means to meet that need, but you close your heart. If you're not prepared to show love at that level, then how can you ever begin to think about laying down your life? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Brothers and sisters, let's not talk about love, but let's act in love. Let not love be absent among us, but let love abide in us. It is an essential mark of a healthy church. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And from love flows joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But what is first? It is love. And if you don't know the love of God today, then you need to look to Jesus Christ and to his cross where he laid down his life for you. And he paid the price for my sins. This love gives. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Give your life to Jesus Christ. Know his love and walk in it and share it with other people. May God bless his word to us today.